I want to tell you all a little story right quick first. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I was going down the hall and, and a uh, new visitor to the church was coming out of Sunday school. And uh, Wayne was back there shaking hands like he likes to do when uh, folks come in. And he grabbed this guy and pulled him aside. And uh, Pastor Wayne said, you need to join the army of the Lord. And the guy replied, I'm already in the army of the Lord, Wayne. And Wayne said, how come I only see you at Christmas and Easter? And he said, because I'm in the secret service. <laughs> so just a little bit of humor. I will start off with a question, though, after, after the joke, a little audience participation. If this year you've had a change in your life, say amen. See, Rob, I told you I could get an amen out of it. <laughs> you know, 2020 has really been a year of chaos. You know, this virus that spread across our planet, the hurricanes, we're already in the Greek alphabet because we've had so many, the wildfires from California up to Washington State, and then the civil and the political unrest. And there's countless other things that I'm sure we could all add to a growing list of disruption of how things were in some degree prior to the first of the year. But it's important to remember God has been here through it all. And a great deal of my message today comes from Luke chapter 12. And it's kind of a clear how this speaks to everything we've been through and focused on uh, in the last several months. If we look at Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, it's really not one parable. It's, it's kind of three parables, but there is a unifying theme. Each one of these little mini stories points to the certainty of the return of Christ. And it should give us pause because scholars of the Bible, as they talk about these parables, say these are among the most prominent parables of the New Testament and they deal with the dominant New Testament doctrine repeated more often than any other doctrine in the New Testament and that may be a little confusing but I'll try to clarify this the scriptures are related to the return of Christ and that those scriptures are most often repeated more than any other doctrine in the New Testament out of 260 chapters according to Bible Gateway in the New Testament, the return of Christ is mentioned in 216 out of those 260 chapters. Almost every book in the New Testament mentions the return of Christ. 318 times the New Testament writers refer to the return of Christ. And 10 times in these three many parables that we're going to speak about, uh, you'll hear the Lord Jesus talking about the one who comes the one who will come, who is coming, and who is certainly not delayed in coming. And I'm going to kind of summarize the three parables for those who, I wish Earl was here, I'd say, for those who are about to go to sleep, I'll summarize this. Um, there's one about a master and his servant. There's one about a master and a thief. And then the master and the manager. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 35. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master 
to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes. And blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will serve, he will come and serve them. He comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. And I think none of us would if we knew a burglar was going to break in. But also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And I think some of that, you know, as we look at what's going on, it's echoed in my mind a few times going, hey, are, are these steps getting closer to the return of the Lord? Are all these events that are unprecedented in modern times a hint at what's to come? Peter did ask with this parable, he said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everyone? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and in an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master, who knew his master's will but didn't get ready to act or according to his will will also receive a severe beating but the one who didn't know or did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand more you know uh, most of y'all know I use this iPad a lot um, when I get to be up here and preach it's where my sermon notes are our Sunday school book is on here I can run the sound from back at the pew. It's kind of nice. But one of the other applications on this is the Bible app. And I was thinking back a couple of weeks ago, we started youth. And Misty brought up the fact of something called a Bible streak. Now, for those of you in here who have no clue what the latest teenage lingo is, a Bible streak is a count of how many days in a row you've opened the Bible app and read a scripture. And, you know, if you make a habit of doing that it becomes a habit and uh, I certainly encourage you to read the word daily I think we had some kids last year that had over 300 day streaks oh oh I thought that was some kids it was misty they did and you know the the streak ends when you forget starts back over at zero so it is uh, important to Read the word even if it's just a scripture uh, or two each day. Um, but as I read the Bible, there year, there's basically there's plans you can do that take you a whole year to go through the Bible. And I have yet to have the discipline to, continue, to, to continually get through that. 
But as I have read through, especially into the Old Testament and transitioning into the New, um, what occurred to me is how much waiting there is in the Bible. I read about all these people who knew what God's will was, but they kept coming, becoming hard-hearted and ungrateful, unbelieving and rebellious. And they kept going their own way, and God kept having to discipline them. And he kept bringing them back, and he kept loving on them, and kept making promises. Yet they kept rebelling over and over again. There was so much waiting and so much longing. And in this Bible through a year reading plan, if you start in January with Genesis, by September you end up in the New Testament. And I was thinking, yay, we're finally to Matthew. And it occurred to me that God's people had been waiting for so much time for the promised Redeemer. The one promised, mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, to finally come. But then as Jesus shows up on the scene and begins ministering for 30 years... After he's born, you suddenly realize that there's a whole other season of waiting ahead. And after he dies, rises from the dead, and ascends into heaven, the waiting has really just begun. And if you've checked your watch or calendar, it's been a couple of millennia waiting for the next chapter of that redemptive history to unfold. And in that waiting, and to that waiting, Jesus says in this passage in verse 40, he says, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And surrounding that one statement, he tells the three short parables to burn deep in our hearts that our lives are all about a clear and consistent expectancy in waiting. In these three many parables, I'd like for us to explore them, but I want to do this in reverse order, and maybe it'll kind of make sense as, as we wrap things up in the end. Uh, the first is the master and the manager. Starting with the master and the manager in verses 42 through 48, the emphasis in this part of the passage is on urgency. The seriousness is being constantly ready. The finality and permanence of both of the rewards of faithfulness and the consequences of being unfaithful. Peter asked a question in verse 41. He said, Who are you addressing, Lord? Um, are you telling this to just us or everyone? Who's the target of your te teaching? And Jesus answers Peter with a question to kind of give him the answer, and it makes him think, and he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? And Peter replies, Who's the target audience? And Jesus' answer is this, Anyone who desires to be found a faithful and wise manager when the master returns. That's the target. And if that's not your interest, this passage really won't have any bearing on it. It won't have any meaning or appeal to you. Anyone who desires to be found a faithful and wise man master or manager when the master returns. The Bible gives us a clear picture of what this kind of manager looks like. If we go all the way back into the book of Genesis, towards the end of the book, you'll read about a wise man whose name is Joseph. Joseph's got a bunch of brothers who don't like him, and they create a charade, and they sell him into slavery, and they claim he's been killed by an animal when his father asked what happened to him. 
And Joseph is taken into the distant land of Egypt, and there he's purchased by a man whose name is Potiphar. I had to work on that, Lurleen. I was afraid I was going to mess it up. And this man's in law enforcement, Potiphar is. And he's a man who's all about the rules and making sure that things are protected, ordered, and structured. He's the captain of the king's secret service. He's the captain of the king's guard. And Joseph is hired as the lowest and least trusted of the servants in Potiphar's household. Yet over time, he becomes to distinguish himself as a really trustworthy servant. And little by little, he's entrusted with more and more as he shows himself faithful at the end. And Joseph uh, arrives at the place where Potiphar looks at him and says, you're in charge of it all. Matter of fact, there's nothing that I own, none in my household, that isn't under your authority except my supper. As a matter of fact, Genesis 39 verse 6 explains it this way. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Jesus said, Blessed is the faithful manager, whom he, the master, will find serving faithfully in a way when he returns. Verse 43 goes on to put it this way. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Blessed is that servant. The NIV translation, it will be good for that servant to be found that way. And that same blessed, which you find in the Beatitudes, is found three times in that passage in verses 43, 37, and 38. Jesus is saying it will be really good for you to be found in this way. And yet in that same little parable, verse 45 says, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants, and eat and drink, and become intoxicated, that's a very different picture uh, from the one that Joseph presents. And let's think about this for a minute. Here's the manager who puts in charge of everything, and yet he begins to operate with a false sense of independence. He begins to act not like a manager, but kind of like an owner. And he starts to say, this stuff is mine. It belongs to me, and I get to do with it whatever I want. And he begins to practice self-indulgence. He ignores the accountability. He says, my master is delayed in coming. It's an infinite delay that this text refers to. And he treats what belongs to the master as if it were his own even to the point of abusing, abusing what belongs to the master as he treats it as if he has authority over it himself. In other words, everything he treats as if it belongs to him. Does that sort of strike close to home? Have we looked at what God has entrusted to our stewardship? If you're a management as if this belongs to me, that's why we put a fence around our property. That's my property. That's why we get upset when someone dents our car door. That's my car door. And we're treating what rightly belongs to God as if it were our own. The result in verse 46 says that the master of that servant, that manager, will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know him and will cut him in pieces and will put him with the unfaithful. The parallel passage of Mark's account of this passage adds one phrase that... Uh, maybe is a little more direct. And that phrase is, he will put him where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And suddenly we realize that this manager, steward, servant, is put in what Jesus describes as hell. Now quickly I need to say this is not teaching that a Christian can lose his salvation by the way he practices faithfulness. It's not teaching that at all because of our understanding of the scriptures says a genuine follower of Jesus will never lose his relationship with Christ because Jesus secured it. What it is teaching is how clearly our stewardship or lack thereof exposes what is true about our hearts. I wonder if Jesus had this illustration in mind when he looked out of the corner of his eye and he saw Judas. Judas is one of his disciples who looked like he was on the inner circle. As a matter of fact, if you ask the disciples who's the most trusted of the twelve, they would have all pointed at Judas. He externally looked like the most trustworthy one. And so much that they entrusted him with all their money. And he was the keeper of the money bag. And he used to help himself to whatever was placed in it. Interestingly, though, the way Jesus describes this manager who will be cut to pieces is exactly the way he would have described Judas and the way he would describe any one of us who lives and acts like Judas, who instead of living as a steward and manager, acts as if this is really all mine. There's no authority over me. I can decide what I want to do with this. I own it. I get to be the self-indulged, indulgent however I want to do with what I feel is mine. Fact is, though, if we look in the passage Jesus comes to in verse 47, it says, The servant who knew his master but will not get ready or act according to his will will get a severe beating. But the one who did not know or did what deserved a beating will get a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much more will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. This is really heavy, you know, folks. And I know you're thinking, John, why do you want to do such a, a heavy message on a Sunday? Let's, let's be upbeat and optimistic. And this is a passage where scholars often go when they talk about the degrees of punishment. Now, I don't want to delve into all the depths of that. I just simply want to say Jesus' ends is this. To whom much is given, much is required. You and I do not want to find ourselves among those who did not know our master's will. You and I are only in the category of those who did know our master's will and his calling to our stewardship. The question is, what will we do with that stewardship to which we've been called? Folks, we're all managers. We're all stewards. None of us is really an owner. As a matter of fact, this morning we confessed it as our confession of faith. But I belong body, soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully sanctified all my sins and has delivered me from the power of the devil. And so that preserves me that apart from the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head, and it goes on from there. Now here it is, your only comfort, that you are not your own. I belong, you belong, to the one who paid for us. That's the core of this mini parable, this first mini parable. And I'm going to quickly go through the second parable, and that's the parable of the master and the thief. That's on verses 39 and 40. The main point here is the unexpected and sudden character of his return. And interestingly, Jesus reverses those roles. This time he's not the master. This time Jesus is the thief, 
and we are the master of the house. Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. Now this imagery of the thief is used all throughout the Testament, New Testament, and I'll read you a couple of examples, such as 2 Peter 3, verses 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware of the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Revelation 16, verse 5, Behold, I am coming like a thief, Jesus says. And again, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The result is, his coming will be sudden and will be completely unexpected. Here's the point. Jesus is saying that though we all know he will return, we don't know when he will return. Many of y'all probably have a calendar on the wall. High-tech folks like Wayne and I, we have a calendar on our phone. And, uh, you know, it has all the uh, important things. And as we look, I like to look at the calendar on Sunday, and I go, well, you know, what will my Monday look like? What do, what do I have on Tuesday, Wednesday? Am I going to have a busy week? Where am I going? How tired am I going to be at the end of the week? What's this going to take out of me? Many of our schedules... How many of our schedules, though, have be ready for the return of Christ? Yes, you've got those appointments and many people to see, but you've got these places to which you're traveling. Where is the Jesus might return this week on our calendar? Where's that expectation? Though we're told he will return and we're given signs of his coming, promises, warnings, and alarms, we're still told it will be a sudden and unexpected return, unanticipated by those who receive him. As part of my research in looking at end times, I found a, uh, a story about a robbery that occurred in London, England back in 2015. It's called the Hatton State Deposit Company in London. It's a big, it's a big, uh, highly secure place. And we're talking just five years ago, you know, they have burglar alarms and and thick concrete walls, and, and this place is in the middle of what's called the Diamond District in, in London. And what they do in this place on Friday, when all the jewelry shops close up, they take all their diamonds and stuff and they store it uh, in their highly secure vault. And it was well advertised that they do this, and it was put out, you're not going to break into this. And yet over a long holiday weekend in 2015, a group of old men, it turned out to be, most of whom have uh, served time as being criminals, thieves in an earlier years, got bored. And they said, hey, let's do one last challenge. There was a movie made about this uh, caper as well. They cooked up a plan to gain access to an adjacent building. They got into the basement through an open elevator shaft which they repelled down, and they took the next 10 hours with special drills and hydraulic presses to drill through two feet of steel-reinforced concrete. Before they broke into the building, they had someone on the inside, and they conveniently deactivated all the cameras and all the alarms, except that person on the inside wasn't aware of a new camera that got added, and so that camera detected the motion, set off the alarm to the monitoring company. And the monitoring company called the police, and the police called the owner of the 
depository company. And it was a holiday weekend, and it was overnight. He got the call, and he was told what happened about this alarm going off. And the manager said, don't worry about it. Nobody breaks into that place. We'll just reset the alarm on Monday. Well, Monday came, and the consequences were pretty devastating. Over $300 million in diamonds had disappeared. It's unthinkable, unexpected, unanticipated. You see the parody here? Uh, just as Peter writes in 2 Peter verse three, or chapter 3, verse 3, he says, You must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Here's what they'll say. Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes just as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. But these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. And by that same word, present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Jesus is quite clear in saying, I've called you to be stewards and managers of what I've entrusted to your care. I will come back. He said it at his ascension, or maybe the angels did, this same Jesus whom you've seen ascend, he will come back just as you've seen him ascend. It will be sudden and unexpected with devastating and permanently unchangeable consequences for the ones who are unprepared. So we've got the three mini parables, the master and the manager, the master and the thief, and finally, the first one of the three passages, the master and his servants. This comes from verse 35 through 38. And here the emphasis is really on encouragement. And that's where I want to kind of end these many parables. Here's the master represented again as Jesus. He's gone to a wedding feast, and after days of feasting, possibly even weeks, according to the ancient text, after all this time of being away, he finally turns toward home and he travels back. And it is his desire to find his servants waiting expectantly and ready to receive him. And this is the desire that he's expressed in the first of the three many parables. He says, no matter how long or how inconvenient the timing, highlighted by verse 38, whether it's in the second or the third watch, that is the wee hours of the morning, that's when Jim Waldo's awake, um, that's when the servants need to be watching and waiting. He gives us three quick words of instruction. Verse 35, always be ready for service. Stay dressed for action. He says, in the Greek, it's let your loins remain girded. Why? Because the readiness is the posture of a true servant, of a deacon and of a, uh, of a steward. And Jesus is saying, pay attention. Your calling is to remain steady. The second instruction in verse 35 is to keep your lamp burning. There's so much to say about this, but because of time, I'll say it is through a, through a humorous example here. Y'all remember those radio commercials back in the 90s for Motel 6? And it always ended with the words, I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. What is he saying? He's saying, here at Motel 6, we're acting as if we expect you to return. We'll keep the lights on for you. We know you're coming. We're here waiting. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to us at the same time. 
Live in such a way that demonstrates your ongoing expectation of the return of Christ. Reading on to verse 36, he said, So that they may open the door at once. Meaning don't be preoccupied with anything that distracts you from that expectation. You know, folks, we're all busy. I'm busy. You're all busy. But Jesus doesn't want that to preoccupy us from that expectation that he is returning. In verse 37, it says, I wonder if you caught it the first time. Well, I wonder if you caught it the first time I read it. It says, blessed are the servants who the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. He will have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Did you notice that reversal there? This is really an unthinkable reversal. The first audience who heard Jesus say these words and the first recipients of Luke's gospel would have been stunned at this because the line between the master and the servant was never crossed. And yet here is Jesus saying, if you're ready... If you're living with that ongoing state of expectancy, when I come, even if it's an, at an inconvenient time in the wee hours of the morning, look, when I come, I'm not going to expect you to serve me. I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing all along. I'm going to have you sit down, and I'm going to serve you. You may have watched a movie that came out a few years ago called Downtown Abbey. I think there's also a... Uh, PBS series on that. And I looked up some names from that movie because um, I don't really know it well, um, but it did come up in some of my research. There was Robert Crawley. He was the sixth Earl of Gantham, known as Lord Gantham, and is the proud patriarch of downtown. His wife, who is an American, is Kara. She's Lady Gantham. Together they rule with unquestioned authority and they are served attentively by all the servants in that facility. In the original book uh, called High Clare Castle, or excuse me, the original downtown abbey called High Clare Castle had 42 servants. The castle that you see in all the images where the setting of downtown abbey is placed, Mr. Carson, the head of the butler, is in charge of all the male servants. Miss Hughes, the head of the female servants, and their single role is to serve the Lord and Lady Gantham and their children. Now picture in this episode of Downtown Abbey, Lord Gantham is off on a long journey in his carriage. He's gone for quite some time. He told his servants he'll be back, but they don't know exactly when. They don't have cell phones. They don't have Find My Friends. The mail doesn't operate the way it does. Well, maybe it does now, but... Uh, that does not, we don't know when he's coming back. But when he comes back finally, he's traveling and he's in his carriage and he's tired. And in the middle of the night, he desperately wants to sleep in his own bed. So he continues to push on. And he rounds the corner towards his house and he thinks, is anybody still going to be awake? Gosh, I hope there is someone at the door with a lantern to receive me, to unlock the door, grab my coat, my hat, and point me towards bed. I hope someone will turn down the covers so that I can slide in and go to sleep. I'm exhausted. And to his amazement, he rounds the corner and all the lights in the, in the abbey are on and a broad smile across his face as he sits back and goes, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're ready, they're watching, they're waiting. 
And he comes up the long tree-lined drive where the carriage stops at the door, and a footman jumps out, opens the carriage door. The doors of the abbey swing open. His servants pile out, and his servants say, Lord Gantham, Lord Gantham, we're so glad you're here. And as one of them reaches for his hat and his bag, the unthinkable happens. Lord Gantham, with a smile on his face, says, No, 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 not this time. This time I'm carrying my own bags. And he plops them inside the door, and he looks as if all his servants are waiting at him, and he says, Y'all sit down here at the table. And there in the great banquet hall in the banquet dining table, he says, You guys sit down. He takes off his coat, and he wraps an apron around himself, puts on the gloves of a butler, and begins to serve them. And they're stunned. And he continues smiling, and he's just beaming the whole time. And then, even more unthinkably, when they're done eating, they're full and satisfied. He's anticipated all their needs, and he fully satisfies them. And then he says, y'all go wait in the library while I clean up the kitchen. Would that episode ever really air? Would anybody watching say, eh, that'll never happen? Except that's exactly what Jesus promised you and me. That's exactly what he says he'll do if he finds us watching and waiting for his return. Is it unthinkable? Not really. When you realize the Son of Man is coming at an hour we do not expect. The Son of Man in Mark 10 says, Do not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A short time later, he would serve his own disciples. When none of them would be willing to wash another's feet, he actually wrapped a towel around himself. He did what none of them was willing to do for another. The fact is, he's been serving them all along. He's been serving us all along. And he just smiles and says, I'm inviting you to serve. With It's his hands wrapped around our hands. Always. We're never doing these things on our own. He's always with us, helping us, encouraging us to do the unthinkable and the absolute impossible for us that he allows us to do through him. At the end of the day, Jesus will either take you himself in death or he will return to us as he ascended into heaven. There's not a third option. Put simply, Jesus will come for you or Jesus will come to you. Are you ready for both? One of the two will happen to all of us and there will be a generation of followers of Jesus who will not taste death. They will see the clouds roll back as a scroll. They'll hear the sound and the trumpet and the angels going out to the four winds to gather God's select. He will return to them and gather them himself. And he will say what he said in another parable. Come, the banquet table is set. Everything is now ready. Just come. Will that day you find yourself ready and expectant? Will that day find you busy managing what he has temporarily entrusted to your care? It's interesting in those two parables, the master and the thief and the master and the manager, where Jesus is a thief and the master of the house treats everything as it's his own. He ends up losing everything when the thief comes. But in the other parable, the master and the manager, when the master returns and finds the manager doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing as a good steward, Jesus says, I'll entrust you even more. These images don't sit still in our minds very often, do they? How will this week look different 
if you actually begin tomorrow by thinking, I want to live as a steward expecting Jesus to return today, what will that look like? What will that feel like? What difference will it make? It makes all the difference, folks. And when we, like children, let our master serve us, equipping us and enabling us, what would otherwise be impossible task to do, we can't imagine what he'll accomplish if we'll let him drive our lives. We all join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you with great need. You've entrusted us your holy word, but unless you, by your spirit, intervene and minister your word to our hearts, our hungry and needy hearts, these remain words on a page or words spoken by man. But would you cause your word to be alive and powerful as you promised your spirit would make it to be? Penetrate deep beyond the harshness, the ingratitude, the unbelief, the distrust, the distraction, the chaos with a myriad of a thousand other things. Would you please speak your truth to our hearts and then free us just not to do your will, but to find our greatest joy and delight and pleasure in doing your will. We ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.